is going on spitfires welcome back to another episode of the spitfire podcast you know me but you may not know the other person on the screen and if you don't you should know her this is alicia curry and she is a spitfire to the nth 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 degree uh she's an audacious spitfire and i can't wait to dive in to her story to share how she discovered her inner spitfire and how she's unleashing it on the world alicia thanks so much for joining me today Thank you, Lauren. I'm excited to be here. You know, <laughs> audacious confidence. Woohoo! Let's dive in. Well, tell me more about that. I, you know, I love a good like duo, uh, you know, amplifying what confidence is. But tell me, what does it mean to be audaciously confident? It's, it's to take your confidence to the next level and really be bold and step out and do things that you didn't think that you could do. Mm. Just you know, I need to know more about that. <laughs> oh, do you? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So um, I define it as that unshakable belief in yourself that's so bold and so brave that you dare to step out despite your feelings, fears, or past failures to live your life that you imagined, you know, like what is possible for my life? And let's live into that. Mm, I'm feeling that. And I'm also like, oh, I got a little shake. I got a little shake in my legs and my tippy toes. And so I always I, have a little shake in my tippy toes. A little, shake, a little shake. I'm like that unshakable. How much, how much is the portion that can shake a little bit? <laughs> yeah. You know what? You can shake, but the belief in you doesn't shake. Mm. You know, like, I, I can step out and do something I haven't done before and my knees could knock and I can feel the heart, you know, palpitating, but the belief in myself that, you know what, I can do this. That's the unshakable part. Love that. So where did you first notice that unshakable belief in yourself? Oh, it took years, girl. <laughs> we got years time for me to get here. Uh, and, and <clears throat> When I really look at, at the acceleration of my journey, it's only been in the last five, six years that the acceleration has happened. You know, um, I, I was interviewing someone on my show recently and she was saying quantum leaps happen in hindsight. Like you don't realize the quantum leap until you look back at where you were and where you are. And so when I look in the, la the last six years of my life where, where it's taken me, it's like, that has been a quantum leap. And, and um, the journey was getting to that place <laughs> of, of making the shift. So I was not always very confident in myself at, at all, as many people probably feel like they are right now. Um, I had a belief and it was a false belief that confidence was something you were either born with or, or you weren't like, you couldn't develop confidence. So mm. that was my fixed mindset, you know, like confidence. I, cause I would look at people. I'm like, wow, how could they, how could they be like that? How could they do that? And I couldn't possibly, you know, I couldn't put myself in that category. Like I, um, I couldn't see myself like that. Mm -hmm. And so for, for many, many years of my life, and I will tell my age, I'm 52, I'll be 53 in May. So 
for many years of my life, I held back because of a lot of limiting beliefs about myself um, that were birthed or seeded from other people. A lot, you know, a lot of people in my childhood that said, said things negatively about me that I bought into. And that became my narrative. Um, I was a spitfire as a child. People were afraid of me. <laughs> I mean, when I came into a room, I was tiny, but mighty. I was, uh, I still, still am, but like my voice showed up before my physical self did. So people knew I was coming. And <laughs> so that's the little audacity that I had from, from childhood. I was audacious. And then when I was, and, and this is going into my story. I know you didn't really ask me all of this, but. Oh, I want to know. <laughs> but, but as a, as a three-year-old, um, I hear stories about how bold I was and how people couldn't say things in front of me because I would tell everybody (laughs) I was that child. (laughs) And so I, um, was really happy as a child and, and two major things happened to me when I was around four, four and a half. One was my hair was about as uncontrollable as I was. I had this fine, um, frizzy, crazy hair that my mother couldn't tame. And so the story goes that because she couldn't tame it, because she'd put it in a ponytail, you know, slick it back. And within five minutes, it was like, whoo, like a fan. Mm-hmm. And she, so she just shaved it off. So I was just like, I had like a little Afro. So I was a little tiny little thing with an Afro and people started calling me a boy because I looked like a boy. I no longer had pigtails. I no longer looked like a girl. So I had to continually convince people that I was a girl and I wasn't a boy, but I was a tomboy. So I always wore pants. And so that was one thing. And then the second thing was we moved from Trinidad where I was born all the way to Australia (laughs) where, where my father was, was doing his PhD so we moved to Australia and that's kind of where my um, audacity slipped away. And when I started school at five, you know, we were in a very small university town in Australia <clears throat> and they had never really seen black people. Um, this is back in the seventies. They had seen them on National Geographic. They'd seen them on TV, kind of on TV in documentaries, but not really in person. And so kids in school who had never really seen anyone with my complexion or my hair texture or my nose or my lips or my accent were fascinated, but not always in a constructive way. <laughs> I'll say it that way. And so as a five-year-old, I didn't really know how to uh, address that. I didn't know, I didn't have the answers for them. You know, when people would ask if I taste like chocolate, I'm like, I don't know. 
I don't think so. (laughs) Why is my skin this color? Why is my hair like this? What, you know, what, if I shower, does it wash off? I'm like, (laughs) but it's out of, you know, just out of curiosity, but because I stood out every time I walked into a room. Now, remember I stood out, but I love standing out because I loved attention. But now I stood out in a way that was very uncomfortable for a five-year-old. And so I kept going further, retreating further and further. I just wanted to blend in. I didn't want to, I didn't want to stand out. So my grades weren't good because I just wanted to be, you know, I didn't want to stand out for anything. So I, I, I figured if I just kept quiet and just kind of moved into the background, nobody will recognize, notice, or see me. And so that became my life for a very long time, in way in, even into my adulthood, which I didn't even recognize. Mm-hmm. Yeah. More? <laughs> well, I, I'm, I'm resonating so much with this. And, and I, the more I talk to people that, that I see and envision as spitfires, really like have always had it in them, but there's been moments where things weren't on their terms, mm-hmm. where they felt like they had to hide those pieces of themselves and bury it down. Mm-hmm. And, and then over time, we just kind of tolerate those situations and don't even realize how much more we're burying ourselves until we, we hit that point. Yeah. Yeah. We just so, don't recognize it anymore. You don't but until you're so part of us. exhausted and so tired and you don't know why, and you don't mm-hmm. know how you used to be that frustrated. Yeah. It was frustration because I, it's like, I know it's here, mm-hmm. but I couldn't access it. I couldn't find it anymore. And I had to, I had to excavate. I had to like (laughs) go in there and try to, because this was now, I I had moments of real boldness in my life Mm -hmm. where I would do things and it would seem like nothing to me, but people were like, how did you do that? Mm -hmm. Like what, what inside of you made you do something? I mean, I, picked up and moved the rest of my family is still in Trinidad because after Australia, we did move back to Trinidad. And the thing was, I looked like everybody else. So that was comforting, but then I didn't sound like anybody because I had a really thick Australian accent after five years, my whole childhood Mm -hmm. in Australia and coming back at, at um, 10, 10 years old. And, and now, you know, I don't even remember how Trini's speak. (laughs) And so every time I would open my mouth, like heads would swivel and people like, you know, and they, I started getting teased for the way I said words. And, and so that shut me down too. Cause Mm -hmm. now I'm like, I don't want to say anything. I don't want to say anything wrong and be laughed at because of the way I spoke. Mm -hmm. And so that became another layer of discipline trying to disappear. And, and so I struggled because I realized that I didn't, I wasn't diagnosed back then. They didn't diagnose people, but I did transpose words and numbers like letters and numbers. And I would get confused with things and formulas and stuff like that. And so like in my adulthood, I found out about dyslexia and dyscalculia. And I'm like, that's, 
what plagued me in my childhood because uh, I couldn't like math was so hard for me because I would transpose numbers all the time and and trying to remember formulas they wouldn't stick in my head and and so I was labeled as dumb stupid can't learn or someone who doesn't try right mm -hmm. you're so smart but you don't you don't try I'm like I'm trying <laughs> you know I am trying but it's hard so um so having all these pieces you know I didn't realize like I used to say, I don't have a story. I'm just regular, like there's nothing special or, or unique or different about me. But when I started breaking out all these pieces and really understanding every little piece um, was a, was what created the mindset that I had and created those limiting beliefs. And there are so many people that are struggling with these things that if I can give voice to what it was in my childhood and, and growing up, that they can recognize it because they might be in the same place that I am, kind of trying to figure things out and not really, not really understanding where it's coming from. So every time I get an opportunity to speak, I want to bring these, these different parts out because you might be, you might have had dyslexia or dyscalculia and, and believe that you're stupid and you can't learn. Listen, I'm a learner. One of my top strengths is learner. I love learning. It's just the way I was taught in school stifled my ability to learn. And it wasn't until I got out of school, I realized how much I just love learning. You know, I'm a growth. Mm -hmm. <laughs> my motivators are growth motiv motivated. Um, and so I had to resurrect that part of me because school was so hard. I felt like I couldn't learn and I had to resurrect. I am a learner. I love learning. I love growing. I just have to, I just had to find how that works for me. So yes. hopefully, you know, this helps people kind of start charting or, or understanding their own journey. And seeing, oh, this is probably why I connected this to this and why this means this to me. And that's not true at all. <laughs> and I've made up a whole story that, that, that I don't have to believe in anymore. I don't have to, to, to live in anymore. And um, that's why, you know, much like you with this podcast, I love doing shows that help pull these things out because we're not just one thing and we need to understand all the different parts and pieces of us that make us who we are. And if we're spitfires, let's, let's embrace that and enjoy that, you know? Well, see, I think that everybody is a spitfire, but it's how mm -hmm. they define it. And I actually just recently, I don't know if you had a chance to look at it, the four archetypes of spitfire leaders. So whether we are motivated internally or externally, mm -hmm. or we express <laughs> internally or externally, Cause I think it's really easy. Like if you're an extrovert, if you have this like fiery energy, if you like come in and you're seeing people are like, that's a spitfire, that's what I categorize it as. But there's this inner fire that is mm -hmm. so captivating Power. and powerful. And that's why I love jamming out with people with introverted preferences because the depth that they go to understand and develop and, and really empathize is amazing. Mm. It's, it's beautiful. So 
I love this audacious confidence because it's customized for you and for however someone wants to play in that space in the same way that you have customized and tailored the way that you learn to meet mm -hmm. your preferences. And I wonder if this now opens up for people listening, where have you put yourself in the box of an institution or someone else's categorization or, or value around learning or achievement or success? And how can you bring that into your own preferences? Yes, that absolutely, absolutely. Um, and I think the key for me is really doing that excavation. It's really digging in and seeing where I, where I lost it <laughs> or where I, I started preferring other people's uh, valuation or, or their definition of who I was mm -hmm. and not really taking the time to define that for, my, for myself. Yeah. And I, and I think that journey, it is painful. And so people need to be prepared. And I think this is probably where, where people are like, yeah, not for me right now. I'm not ready to go there. Like, Ooh, do I want to go back into the awkward, like elementary school or junior high years? Cause that's where a lot of the trauma was experienced initially, or maybe it was before that at home with relatives or in another uh, setting, but there's a lot there's a lot that happens with like the social dynamics and expectations. And I think um, you have to be, like you said, you have to be ready for that. I was at a place of growth where I was ready for something different. I was ready to, to, to explore that about myself because I was, I was sick and tired of being frustrated. I was sick and tired of knowing, you know, after, after something happened, and saying, I could have done that, or I could have done better, or why wasn't I chosen, or why didn't I step up, you know, because um, I know I have it in me mm -hmm. to do it. And I just was preferring this back seat. In mm -hmm. fact, part of my, my vocabulary was, oh, I'm a behind the scenes person, I'll do all the work behind the scenes. It just I don't that. need to be I literally just said this last week. I'm like, I, I like being behind the scenes. I'm not behind the scenes person. I don't need to be seen or heard. I'll do all the work behind the scenes. In fact, I remember uh, in college, so I studied fashion in college and the chairman, the chairperson, she was a woman, chairperson of the fashion department uh, pulled me in as one of her interns. Um, and, and it, it was really amazing because I was doing work study. So I had work study, but she, over the summer before classes began and she saw me there all the time. And so I wasn't one of the original, she usually has, I think four interns or four people that she, four students that she she pulls in to kind of be her, her closer assistants that will help with fashion shows and help with, with a lot of other things that we get to do that some of the other students don't get to do. So she had her four that she had already picked from the year previously, and I'm coming in as a freshman. And she pulled me in as a fifth. And they're like, she doesn't usually have 
five. She usually just has four interns. See, I didn't even, there's so many things that happened in my life that I didn't even recognize my gift made room for, like just my presence made room for. Mm -hmm. And so she pulled me in and I always kept feeling like the outsider because I was the fifth wheel, right? I was like, I'm like, okay, yeah, I guess she's feeling pity, you know, that imposter syndrome. She feels pity for me and she's just pulling me into these. But these were really amazing opportunities for me. Mm -hmm. And one of the opportunities I remember, I got to work at MTV Latino when uh, MTV, yeah, when when it started um, in 1992 or 93 here in, in Miami, um, I got to work there in their wardrobe department, in their fashion department, you know, to, to dress the VJs and to, well, it was me and one other person was chosen. He spoke Spanish. I didn't speak Spanish. And so we were in uh, the wardrobe department and wouldn't you know it, he was out there schmoozing with Daisy Fuentes and all the other VJs and all that stuff and dressing them and stuff. Guess where I was? I was in the closet. I was in the closet, cataloging everything, ironing everything, steaming everything. <laughs> like I was in the closet, literally in the closet, because I'm a behind the scenes girl. Someone will recognize my talent. Someone will recognize my, you know, someone will recognize me. Oh, no. <laughs> No, I stayed in the closet. Nobody was coming in the closet. <laughs> Meanwhile, he was out there getting recognized, doing all this stuff, getting invited to stuff. And, and I was back there. Oh, look at him just sucking up to everybody. And, you know, because that's my mindset, because I wasn't, I didn't value myself enough to also step out of behind the closet to go on set and help dress them. I felt like I needed to be invited into that, mm -hmm. you know? And so I didn't have permission. I didn't give myself permission to be there, even though I could have been. So um, all those things looking back at, you know, it's like I had the opportunity, but I chose to shrink myself because of, again, not wanting to stand out, not wanting to make mistakes, not wanting to, so I chose to shrink myself. And, and even though it was a subconscious choice, it was still a choice mm -hmm. based on my own biases. So um, looking back at all that, it's hilarious looking back at it now, but um, I see how I embodied that narrative that I belonged behind the scenes, not in front of the camera, although my heart wanted to be there. I didn't think that I was good enough or worthy enough or had what it took to be there. Yeah. Well, and it's, I I'm, I'm letting it all sink in because it's, it is the embodiment of the narrative and the narrative is what you set. And so you're, you're living in that truth. And honestly, the truth of our past are based on lies. We were told mm -hmm. that we believed is truth. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I love what you said about introverted spitfires, because it's so important. See, I believed myself to be an introvert for a long time, too, because I 
but my introversion wasn't true introversion. It was fear-based <laughs> introversion. I, I put myself in that category. Um, and understanding though, where your energy and your strength, your not strength, your where you draw energy from. And if it's, do you draw energy from people around you? So I'm more of an ambivert. There are times when I really do need to, to pull back and be within myself to draw that energy back. And there are times that people give me energy. Yeah. Um, and they could be equal amounts, but just because you're introverted doesn't make you less valuable. There's so many people, well, I'm an introvert. That's not an excuse for not being bold. No. You can be bold, you can be audacious and be an introvert. That's just a story you're telling yourself or that you've heard from other people saying that, that well, introverts belong behind the scenes. No. No. You can be introverted and be... I mean, there's so many, I mean, Robin Williams was introverted, but he was an entertainer because it was what was inside of him to do. And so you can be still step out and be bold. You don't have to necessarily be around a lot of people to make that happen, but you can, you can be bold. Absolutely. And I think it's a matter of like, where do you want to have impact? And mm. so is it one-to-one? -one? Is it one to a small group? Is it one to a screen? Um, and I think it's how you classify it versus, well, it's just an absolute no. Mm -hmm. So look at the excuses and how they're holding you back from a binary decision versus looking for opportunities to be seen and to show up in a way that can create the impact you want to have. Absolutely. Love it. Yeah. And <laughs> I, I, I'm definitely on the, I was going to ask you if you've ever done the Myers-Briggs uh, step two. Step two, no. Okay. So in, on the four different dichotomies, mm -hmm. there are five different qualities that will show if you're in preference or out of preference. So mm -hmm. I'm similar. I have a lot, um, a lot of introverted and extroverted qualities within, cause I'm an E, but barely. And it's because I'm gregarious. I have charisma. I, I love to make people smile. So mm -hmm. like if I get laughs from people or if I'm like engaging in there, yeah. I get the surge. But if I'm around a lot of people, I don't know if I get the sense of the room that I'm not aligned with the energy, it's completely soul sucking for me. So I have to be very selective in the groups that I go into because my energy is so impacted, but I can have a really deep coaching session and talk about really challenging topics and be completely energized by that. Yeah. That sounds like me. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think the more, the more self-discovery that people do, the more they actually unlock that you can dance in all of those spaces, but you have mm -hmm. preferences and you're more selective or you have to be more selective in the energy that you're around. Yes. Because you can also develop stories around the wrong things. So you can be exactly like you said, you can be in a room that is just soul sucking and then decide that, well, that might be because I'm an introvert. And so I need, but that may not necessarily be the truth. Um, so I feel, I feel you there. I feel the same way. I can be in a room with people I don't know and it energized me because the energy is so high, but then I can be in a room 
where the energy is just too high. And it's like, yeah. I got to get out of here. It's just, it's just too much and overwhelming. Yeah. I think it's the source of it too. So mm -hmm. if it's manufactured high energy, I'm like, Oh no, thank you. But can I tell you where I got most energized? When? What? I, I went and did karaoke at, at a gay bar and had the time of my life at 1am serenading <laughs> multiple people to Lisa Loeb's stay. And I got three proposals. <laughs> <laughs> that is I, awesome. It was amazing. I used to have, so I used to have performance anxiety. So mm -hmm. I would, um, I actually ended up performing and entertaining through the pandemic, but it took so much out of me. And I felt so much pressure to do it that I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. And I actually stopped performing for mm. over a year. So that little uh, moment, I was like, this is on my terms and I'm going to have the best time ever. I was like crawling on the stage. I was laying back. I was using the steps. Like it was, and it's, it was, it's, it's a free environment. It yeah. was an open, free environment. No one's judging you know, no holds barred. You can be yourself, do whatever you want. Um, this past weekend, I, I reconnected with a friend of mine from, we hadn't seen each other in like six years. And as we were walking down the board, uh, the boardwalk to go to lunch, uh, this couple was playing some loud music and, and stuff. And he's like, let's dance. So he grabs my hand and we start dancing in the middle of the park. And people were watching and, you know, like standing around and like clapping and stuff. But then we were at lunch and um, this live singer, he, he started performing and he started performing live and he saw me in my seat and I'm eating and I'm, I'm you know, doing this. And he's like, let's go. <laughs> and so we stand up and we're dancing in the restaurant. And I started like I wasn't paying attention. And then I started paying attention. And there were some people with these confused looks like, what is going on here? <laughs> and and the, but the entertainer, the singer, he was tickled pink. Like it gave him more a surge of energy yeah. that we got up from our food and started dancing to him singing. And then the the um, the rest of the restaurant that seemed like they weren't just ignoring him the whole time, like they were just you know, eating and paying. After the song, he got a huge like applause. It's like yeah. all of a sudden people started paying attention um, because the two of us were acting ridiculous. And then I think people were kind of wondering, are they a couple? Are they not a couple? What is going on here? <laughs> yeah. They're looking for the story. They're looking for the story between the two of us. Um, but it was it was fun. We were just having fun. And, yeah. you know, I'm so like, my these people don't know me. <laughs> right. Well, so my takeaway is if you're the person on stage, like if you're feeling like you're not connected, like find the one person that you see like energy in and vibe mm -hmm. off of them and, and really amplify that and play with it. So whenever I do public speaking, I look for three people, like just the, the gentle head nod, like, yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm like, you, you, let's go. And you. And so yes. <laughs> So you get the energy that way. But like, if you're only focusing on the people who are checking their phones or, you know, looking anywhere, but at you, it's going to have the opposite effect. Mm -hmm. So focus on the people that want to be there. Yeah. I, I, I love that. And I do the same thing. You look for the way you can really connect with someone and, and then that brings you more energy in your performance and, and the, and what comes out, um, it's so much more valuable. Amazing. Definitely.
So you have you have some exciting stuff coming up. Did the trip get rescheduled? Yes, I, the trip was rescheduled. So I will be headed to Dubai. I'm not sure when this is going to air, but um, the Dubai trip is in May and it is a phenomenal experience um, where it's this it's the first ladies economic and sustainability summit. So Princess Princess um, Muradian Ugalana uh, from Nigeria, she, uh, she has a, an, I'm trying to remember it. I don't remember all the, the whole acronym, but her organization uh, really focuses on sustainability and economic development for women around the globe. How do they get um, access, better access to medical for themselves, for their, for their children um, and, and economic development? You know, how do they bring money into their, into their, their homes? And so this is something that she started many, many years ago with first ladies, and they usually do it at the UN. So she brings first ladies and other royalty and um, into the conversation and they, they hold this five day summit at, at the UN. And this year she got permission because after the pandemic, you know, during the pandemic, they couldn't do it. They did it virtually last year. And so she got permission to do it in Dubai this year because um, Dubai is also really focused on the development of women in, in their nation. So we'll be headed to Dubai and I get to speak to the women and it's going to be phenomenal. She's, she's arranged all this fabulous, um, there's an awards, there's a fashion show, one of the Real Housewives of Atlanta, um, she's bringing her sustainable fashions. So there's going to be a fashion show. We're going to do a yacht cruise. We're doing a safari, you know, it's going to be like, and, and it's all because of um, this book and I have it, it's behind me, but I have one here. It's called Rise Up, Women Who Lead Building Legacy. A friend of mine, a sister queen of mine, <laughs> she, she, was, she was inspired, God inspired to put this book together. And she said there were very specific people that, that were supposed to be in this book. And she, um, she called me and she said, I'm doing this compilation book. God told me I need to do this book and you have to be one of the authors. So I said, okay. And then about three weeks after I said, I can't do it. I can't do it. <laughs> I just don't have the time. I can't write. I just, I'm swamped. I can't do it. And she said, you're supposed to be in this book. God told me you're going to be in this book. And you made a commitment. I'm not letting you out of your commitment. <laughs> and I was like, fine, <laughs> write it. <laughs> I sat down and I wrote my chapter and I sent it in. And then, um, and, and now all of this is happening and we're going on a 10 city tour with this book and um, Dubai is the first place. So because of this book, we're, we're launching the tour in Dubai. Um, as the first, as the first, you know, first leg of our thing that, that is a, an amazing way to kick it off. Yeah, for sure. I'm telling, I don't know how the rest of, I don't know how, how South Florida 
um, you know, when we do it in so how it's going to, because that, you know, that that's on me. I don't know how, to, how I'm going to top Dubai <laughs> with our event. You top it gonna, by being audacious. That's how you, that's top right. It. I got to be audacious. So, but I'm not, uh, um, I, I'm not princess Ugalana, <laughs> you know, princess Meradian, but I'm Alicia. So we'll figure something out. <laughs> you are wonder woman. You I will absolutely woman. figure it out. And you have an amazing base that's ready to support you, ma'am. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. So we'll, we'll, we'll work it out. Awesome. I'm excited. I'm excited for, for those things that are happening. And, and again, looking back at the quantum leap, like I never would have had the courage to even write my first book, um, let alone write a second and then now be co-authored in four or five. I even, I haven't even, I don't even know how many others. Um, I would not have, because I was stuck in this story of, I don't have anything to say mm. that anyone is going to care about. I was stuck in that story. I would never have stepped into booking myself on television, on media, not even knowing what I was going on TV to do, but booking myself on 26 media appearances. I, you know, if I hadn't started that journey and stepped out in audacious confidence, you know, um, because I felt like, what do I need to go on TV for? I don't have anything anybody wants to know about, mm. you know, um, but when the opportunity showed itself to me, I was brave enough, even though I didn't believe that I had what it took. And I had a coach at the time that also said, you don't have anything ready for TV yet. You, you, you're not ready for this. But I ignored that coach because something else inside of me was saying, this is my moment. Mm -hmm. And I listened to that voice instead of what I normally would have done, which was listen to the voice of someone else that I thought knew better than I did. And you I listened to my best. own voice. You know best, you but know you best. have to tap into that. You have to be able to tap into what that is so that you can know that you know best. And that's that unshakable belief mm. in yourself so that you can start trusting who you are and knowing I know best. Yeah. I love that. I, you know, I, I'm just imagining all the people listening to it, but how do I do that? How do I do that? Just shut up and listen, mm -hmm. just shut up and listen. The voice has always been there. Yeah. You've just been and ignoring that, it and trying to make excuses. Exactly. And that's through all the coaching and all the stuff that I've done to get to where I am. I, I created these seven secrets that I thought were seven things that really helped me. Because if you're sitting there thinking, how do I get there? You know, how do I even start the process? Mm -hmm. So I have these seven, seven secrets to audacious confidence that, that is free. It's downloadable for free that you can go to audaciousconfidence.com and, and, and at least start that process for yourself. Yeah. yeah. Well, I will make that available in the show notes because I feel like that's that's going to be the question after this. Well, how do I get started? That sounds great, but y'all have been doing this for a long time. <laughs> Not that long. <laughs> I mean, if you the consider journey is, six just years. Yeah, yeah, same. My journey's just really begun, so I can't wait 
to see where I'm going next. Yeah. I can't wait to see where you go next. I'm going to be watching closely on my binoculars. (laughs) And and the other thing too, I I use those seven steps, even though I started this whole audacious confidence movement and I was the audacious confidence girl and blah, 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 blah. When the opportunity came to me to enter the pageant, I shied away from it for two years. I'm like, I'm not going into any pageant. So I went and I walked myself through those seven, seven things again, just so that I can be confident in myself to actually make the decision to go to the pageant. Yeah. Yeah. Cause at 50, Isn't that great like, when you could use your yeah. own material to like, I, you're like I, oh I wait, this my, stuff works. This stuff works. <laughs> I walked through it myself and it still works. Not just it works, but it still works. Still works. Yeah. And you can always revisit it. And it, that's why yep. it is a practice. It is not a one and done. You reach the finish line. It is a continuous daily practice and reminder of who you are mm-hmm. and what your inner voice is trying to tell you. Absolutely. Amazing. You so we ha- we're going to have, we're going to have resources available. We got your website. If people want to follow you on your trek to Dubai, if they want to come see you in Miami, where should they go? Alicia360.com. And they can connect with me on all social media platforms from that, from that site. That's and my website is on that site. It's all fantastic. Well, thank you so much for sharing your light and your fire and your audacious confidence. And I'm so excited to uh, see you, your adventures and, and the book and all the fun stuff coming for you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it, Lauren. Yay. And for all the Spitfires out there, you keep being awesome. Yes.